everybody. Welcome to another episode of Halitech Hall. We are coming back live from uh, Bears 100, which uh, Michael and myself both attended. Um, so we're excited to kind of break that down, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about, as we had mentioned, our Bears 100 snubs uh, and wrap that bit up on the Bears 100 list, uh, since, especially since we both have our uh, scrapbooks. Uh, but good morning, Michael. How are you, sir? Good morning, AA. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Halitech Hall, Episode 3. We had some technical difficulties uh, last week, so we couldn't get on last week. But this uh, should be a, a one-time thing, and we'll be coming to you weekly thereafter. We're proud to be sponsored by Tick Splits, every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Absolutely no service fees, and we couldn't be happier that, that Tick Splits is sponsoring our podcast, Double A, it was a, an awesome event. We were there, both you and I were there all three days, along with thousands and thousands of Bear fans. It was absolutely incredible to see the line over a mile long waiting to get into the convention center on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, the line went all the way down to Lawrence Avenue, which you're right, is just over a mile from the convention center. Um, was was definitely uh, unbelievable. Uh, we were blessed with uh, some really nice weather because it's been kind of a rainy uh, May and June so far, so that was great. Um, and, yeah, it was, uh, you know, just a, a real kind of pilgrimage, uh, a gathering of uh, Bears faithful. And, uh, you know, there, there obviously were a few hiccups with a couple of things, but I think overall uh, most people will tell you that it was a fantastic event and, uh, you know, super lucky to have attended. Absolutely. Every state was represented at the Bear Convention on Friday and Saturday, and seven foreign countries. Absolutely an incredible event. I, I spoke to several people, and only one, aside from you, that, that I'm aware of, actually lived in Illinois. There were people from Connecticut and Pennsylvania and Virginia, Tennessee, Ohio, Indiana, Utah, California, Oregon. It was absolutely amazing. Everybody that, that I ran into, we shared stories and how they became Bear fans and why are there Bear fans living in California. And some had just moved out there from Illinois, some were, were their, their parents were Bears fans and lived here, but they moved out of state and where these people were born and they just became uh, Bear fans as well. Uh, I, I met a guy from Ireland standing in line uh, to get Devin Hester's autograph. Just absolutely some incredible stories. I have to share one that absolutely brought me almost to tears I'm standing in line waiting to get Devin Hester's autograph. And I'm talking to the guy from, from Canada. I'm talking to a guy from Ohio. And I'm talking to a guy. He's the only other person that uh, I met besides you that actually was from Illinois. He's from Antioch up in the north northeast corner of the state. His name is Keith Young. And Keith Young, probably in his late 20s, uh, he was given credit to his mom for making him a Bears fan. And he was telling me this story about they went to a game in October uh, three years ago, back in 2016. And two weeks later, she passed away. And this guy was just so diehard. He, he was just he, he was beside himself. Absolutely jumping up and down when Devin Hester walked into the uh, into the autograph area. He reaches into his pocket and tells me that his mom's with him and literally pulls out a golf ball sized urn. Maybe it was a tennis ball sized urn that has a portion of her ashes because she had to be there with him. Absolutely uh -huh. sent chills down my spine. Uh, so I, I had chills twice. Once was wow. Friday. Once was Friday, which we'll we'll talk about during the uh, introductions here in a little bit. 
And then this guy, Keith Young, uh, I took a video of his actually getting his autograph with Devin Hester, and I, I sent it to him by text message, and the guy just couldn't have been more thrilled. So hats off to Keith. I hope he finds our podcast uh, just a true testament to what it means to be a Bears fan and how it gets passed down from generation to generation. Double A, what were some of your most exciting or, or memorable moments of the convention? Um, I mean, I think obviously the opening night was amazing. Um, it was just such a great production. Um, I I, um, I love Spice Adams and and you know he was just everywhere during that during the convention from the beginning. Um, you know, just uh, giving the orange carpet so much life and um, you know interviewing the players and that was that was fun. They, even though the doors opened uh, two hours before the show started. It was no shortage of, uh, you know, things to do and people to see, and, and the time just flew by. So so that was great, and um, he had a great panel uh, with uh, Tariq and Al, uh, Alan Robinson and Matt Forte. Um, so that was a highlight for me. Uh, before it started, um, we, we got to do just a Q&A with him um, because, it, you know, he had about 20, 30 minutes uh, and he was just sitting on the stage waiting for it to start. So so that was really cool. Um, you know, and just the just the access level, I think, was was really great um, overall. And, and I don't think you can compare it to almost anything else. I mean, it, you know, a normal fan convention, maybe they would have you know, most of the current players and maybe five, six, ten alumni, uh, you know, this is, this is hundreds of people they had. Um, and you know, it was just amazing. Uh, Joniak and Thayer, I mean, those guys are just pros, pros, and they, they just did such an amazing job. And I really am not uh, such an autograph seeker. So my plan was really just to hit as many panels as I could, um, and so that was, that was just great for me. You know, I could kind of just, you know, sit down and, and, um, follow it. And then what's great recently is the bears released all the videos and, uh, the audio of those panels. So if you miss anything, you can get the podcast version of the panels or you can see the videos, uh, as well. But, uh, just, just unbelievable to see all those guys together, uh, see those teams together. Gail Sayers was super emotional uh, to see come out on the stage. Devin Hester, uh, Tillman was a highlight. Uh, seeing Mike Brown, uh, Johnny Knox, uh, some of these guys from the 2000 teams that have been sort of, um, you know, not around as much. So it's it's hard to narrow it down. I mean, just you know, the whole thing was so was so cool. Um, so yeah. There were a couple things that struck me on Friday. First of all, I, I can't agree with you more. The the way that the Bears did things was just first class from top to bottom. There, are, some of the people were bitching about the autograph sessions, but you know how can you how can you provide autographs for twenty thousand people? It's just impossible. Right. So they they did the best they could. Uh, when they started to introduce the players. They did it by decades. There were decades, there were there were players represented every decade from present day all the way back to the 50s. They started with the 50s and went to the 60s and went to the 70s. And I'm thinking, well, how come they didn't introduce Butkus? How come they didn't introduce Sayers? Because they both played in the 60s and 70s. And then they got to the 80s, and they did the Super Bowl team. Then they went to the 90s, and then the early 2000s, the teens. And then, before they introduced the present-day roster, they introduced all of the current Hall of Famers that were in in the uh, in the arena that night. And we're we're talking Butkus, we're talking Singletary, Hampton, we're talking. Gail Sayers. Gail Sayers got the biggest ovation of the night, as I, I hoped he would have. And it was sustained, and it got louder and louder. He started, as you had mentioned, 
he kind of he kind of bowed his head and you, you could see he was getting a little emotional about it and the crowd just reached a crescendo uh it was it was just brought me to tears here and i'm not afraid to say it um but it brought me to tears and i loved every single minute of it without question then they brought out the current roster i mean everybody whether they're rookies free agents they named them all and then the mic drop at the end when coach Nagy came out and said this is what you're waiting for and he did the boom uh from the locker room and then they they ended it with club dub dancing on the stage led by Cohen and Jackson. Just an incredible night, absolutely. Like you said, Thayer, Joniak just did a first-class job. On Saturday, the panels were phenomenal. I started to watch them online. I sat down actually with you briefly, but the acoustics in my hearing weren't compatible. Uh, I've got I've got a hearing issue that my wife knows all too well, and sometimes she thinks it's uh, that uh, it's, it's uh, it's something that I fake, but it's not. It's <laughs> it's 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 real, and and all I, all I heard was echoing when I'm st- sitting there watching the panels. So I did get a chance to see some of the panels uh, when I went back to my hotel Saturday night. And as you mentioned, and guys, if you're and ladies, when you're listening in, you can go to Apple Podcasts, you can go to the Bears website, you can go to the Bears app, and you'll be able to find every single panel. And trust me, it's worth listening to every single one. It was just, just amazing. Sunday, I actually left early. I, I went, uh, I went in, got some last-minute souvenirs, and uh, headed home. Um, as for those of you that, that don't know the way Tick Splits was founded, uh, I had a 31-year-old son who passed away three years ago. And his love of concerts and my love of, of sports is, is what and how Tick Splits was born. My son's gravesite is about six miles directly north of the convention center on River Road. So I, I, I left early, went to visit him, and then I headed home and had to join the real world and cut grass and get chores done before I had to go to work on Monday. So just an, <laughs> yeah. just, just an absolute incredible, incredible weekend. Yeah, for sure. You were not the only one that, uh, that was having trouble with the audio. Uh, that McMahon um, panel, his microphone was terribly echoey. Uh, I couldn't understand a word he was saying. So it wasn't just your uh, hearing uh, that was to blame. Uh, I, I would say that would probably be the only sort of negative about the panels, and even Joniak mentioned it a few times, was uh, the the guests uh, sometimes, especially during the 63 panel, which I was listening to yesterday, they had a hard time hearing the questions uh, that were asked to them. So Joniak and Thayer had to repeat themselves um, a bit. Uh, but, but overall, I mean, you know, for the size of that room and, and so forth, you know, it, it was – it was great, um, and I, I listened to the um, panel with uh, Pompey, Pearson, uh, George, and Virginia um, yesterday, which was which was really really good. Uh, Virginia spoke a lot, um, which is not something she really uh, does very much, um, so that was really cool uh, to sort of see her um, feelings about the event, and and she was so touched by the whole thing and. Uh, it was funny because she actually told the same story about Bronco Nagurski's gas station, um, and it was one that she didn't know uh, until she got the scrapbook. Um, she had never heard that story, and that was just something I found online. Uh, so that was kind of funny that 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 uh, that story ended up in the scrapbook, and uh, Virginia uh, didn't know um, about Bronco uh, running a gas station, and then the legend sort of being uh, grown that uh, he's he's had so many repeat customers because he would tighten the gas caps so tightly that only he could loosen them. So I thought that was pretty. I thought that was pretty funny um, to to hear. Even Virginia didn't know. Um, that sort of thing. And then they talked about the uniforms, um, which was great uh, to hear her kind of give her opinion. And, and, you know, she's, 
she's still very vibrant and alive and um, she's she's her father's daughter. Uh, she had a great moment where she talked about how how amazing new Hallis Hall is and she mentioned no excuses. She said that, you know, these players have no excuses now um, about not having uh, the resources or, you know, that kind of thing. So it kind of made me think of that, that's something that George would probably have said, you know, um, that very same thing. So, so yeah, you know, just uh, amazing to, to get all that, um, to see all that and to have it all captured and, and play out in front of you. Um, and then that's not even to mention, you know, the, the history hall that they had with all the actual hall of fame busts and the um, Super Bowl trophy and the George Chalice NFC championship trophy. Uh, and then there was an entire room with all the um, kids activities, um, which I didn't spend that much time in, but it seemed like everybody had a great time there. And uh, the kids got to interact with, you know, Khalil Mack and uh, some of these other players um, so, you know, there really was something for everybody. And, um, you know, even though uh, it was extremely crowded the first night in the pro shop and other places, I, I didn't find it to be too terribly crowded. I mean, I've been to some conventions where almost the entirety of it, you're really like walking it shoulder to shoulder with people. So uh, I thought, you know, overall, um, it wasn't, you know, too crazy and you could move around and uh you know kind of get done what you need to get done i made the biggest mistake friday night when i got into the room and there were literally tons of empty seats in the general seating there was a boatload of reserve seats um which i'm assuming were for season ticket holders uh so i made the mistake of going into the gift shop and I bought I bought a few things. The line at the for for the checkout was just incredibly long. I get out and every single seat is taken, and we haven't even gotten. We're not close. We're like still like half an hour away from from mm-hmm. the ceremony starting. So I ended up having to stand for the entire presentation. Wow. And I tell you, my my. And my my dogs were barking, man. My feet were sore. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm too old for this shit. But uh, <laughs> over overall, it was it was just just a, an amazing amazing time. And seeing that uh, players were lingering after it was over, they were given autographs outside after you know as people were leaving. Just an incredible incredible time. It was absolutely an event I will absolutely never forget. I can't help but but talk about uh, this guy uh, who tweeted out, sorry, I missed it. I'll have to go next year. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so how, how many times are you going to have a 100-year celebration? <laughs> Once. There is going to yeah. be no next year, my friend. I, I'm not even going to say his name. Because it was just too damn funny to see that. I oh, I'm sorry, I missed it. I'm gonna have to come next year. Uh, <laughs> you're lost, my friend. You'll have to just relive it with all the podcasts and videos online. <laughs> yeah, we were uh, we were talking about on the tailgate show. You know, do, do we think that um, they will bring back the Bears convention now? Um, as a result of the success of this, uh, obviously, I don't think it would ever be on this scale. But did you ever go to the to the Bears conventions uh, that they used to have? I never went to the conventions that used to be at the hotel. Mm-hmm. The first year that they held it at Soldier Field was Matt Forte's rookie year. And they actually held it at at Soldier Field. It was a two or three day event. I think it was a two day event. And uh, so I, I I attended both days. Um, funny little story. I don't know if I told this previous, but uh, I've got this panel ball. In fact, it's on it's on the wall of the the new and improved and just opened real Halitech Hall here at my house, which I gave you a little preview of before we started taping. And there's this guy, older guy, played for the Bears. He had a cup of tea with him back in the 50s. It was hard for him to walk. 
and I invited him to sit down. There was kind of like a bar pub table where I was sitting, and uh, he gave me his autograph. His name was Ralph Jekka, and I'll remember him for the rest of my life. I think he just recently passed away. The next morning, I'm milling around, getting ready to, to, to get out, and up comes a security guy, and he's got two players, young players with him, and Ralph is with these guys. And so I, I spoke up. I go, hey, Ralph, how you doing? He goes, oh, hey, kid. <laughs> hey, kid, I'm 55 years old, 60, you know, 50 years old. I don't know how, old, how long Matt Forte's been when he was drafted. I think it was, what, 07 or 08. So that was, you know, like 10, 10, 11 years ago. So I was, you know, 50-something. And he says, hey, kid. And so I'm just talking to him. I says, it was a pleasure meeting you, blah, blah, blah. Hey, do you mind while we're standing here if I can get these two guys' autographs? And the security guy looked like he wanted to kill me. And he goes, he looks at him, he goes, oh, yeah, go ahead. Give him your autograph. He's a nice guy. And it turned out to be Trey Brown, who didn't last with the team. But the other guy who was standing there with him was Matt Forte. So because of Ralph, I got Matt Forte's autograph. And I'll never forget it. For sure. Yeah, that's awesome. There were were a ton of uh, people that got uh, autographs just in the valet stand, like I think you mentioned. Um, A lot of guys came out there and were being really gracious and signing uh, for a bunch of people. So, um, you know, and and there were lots of people signing throughout. Another thing I did over this past week was I did a Soldier Field tour, um, which is the first time I've ever done that. Uh, Diddy from the the Tailgate Show and uh, Ryan Badgley, came out from the East Coast, uh, New York and Connecticut uh, for the Bears 100, and we did uh, the Soldier Field tour, um, which was really neat. So I was, I was going to ask you, um, you know, what maybe some of your memories of old Soldier Field and uh, some of the, you know, because one of the things I thought was so cool about it was, you know, it, it's, it wasn't just a Bears tour because the Sol- Soldier Field um, you know, for years was really sort of like the municipal stadium of Chicago and all these uh, major events happened there, whether it was, uh, you know, a giant Rolling Stones concert or uh, the Eucharistic Congress where there was a million people at or um, the there was a Martin Luther King speech famously uh, that was given there and uh, ski jumps and um, all kinds of crazy stuff. So, of course, I wanted to uh, ask you if you had any uh, memories or stories of of Soldier Field uh, that maybe are not Bears uh, related. Not Bears, you know. They actually had uh, car races there mm-hmm. way way back in the in before I probably even before I was born. But uh, there was a dirt track, and the way Soldier Field is configured now is nothing like it was configured back back before pre pre-1970 because the right where the back of the field museum is there was a field house and that's where soldier field began and it held well over a hundred thousand people but the the bears closed off the north end of soldier field and moved the field in line with the columns. So the, the columns were were way over on the south side of Soldier Field. So non-bear related, not much. I remember going when, when I went to one preseason game with my dad way back before the Bears moved into Soldier Field, and uh, it was against the Cardinals. And it, it was benefiting the armed forces. They did one every year back back in those days. Hallis was, was a huge supporter of the armed forces. And I remember sitting just on, on wood bleacher seats, kind of like the ones that were at Wrigley Field back before they started renovating Wrigley. And the lights were substandard, but it was a lot of fun because there was, you know, these all these soldiers and these chrome helmets that were shining in the light. Uh, it was just a, an incredible sight to behold. And then when the Bears decided to move into Soldier Field 
in the uh, in the 70s. What they did, in, I don't know. Do you remember the Bears playing in Wrigley Field? No, I was born in '77, so I don't have any I don't have any recollection of of that. So the Bears used to play their first three games, or sometimes even four, on the road every year. Right. Because in at Wrigley Field, they had temporary stands that they would install over the right field bleachers to mm-hmm. kind of close to close off the stadium, so they were in line with the with the east uh, east sidelines. Sure. Well, they couldn't install those obviously in, until the the Cubs season was done, right. which was c- kind of fortunate that did that they uh, never made the playoffs back in the 60s, but. Uh, they took those temporary stands and moved them to the north, what is the north end zone at Old Soldier Field when they first started playing there. Okay. They, they installed artificial turf. They, they installed AstroTurf. Right. So, so it was, it's amazing that when you go on these chat rooms that, that they used to have on the Bears website, you would laugh at these, these young kids. It's like, the Bears have never played on on artificial turf, and and you know, right. football was meant to be played on on grass, and yada yada yada. And I got, I literally was told I was an idiot, and probably more harsh words than that, when I said Walter Payton never played a game in Chicago on natural grass. They were. Yeah. He, they didn't they didn't tear out the old AstroTurf at Soldier Field until Walter retired and they replaced it with a grass field and then it's it's been grass now ever since. But you know, you know, two, five, six, seven years ago, hearing these young kids going, "Oh, you're an idiot." <laughs> right? No, it's like it's like. Go ahead. I was just gonna say like it's like have they never seen any pictures because. You know, you, you see this uh, kind of technicolor green field in the background of so many uh, Bears pictures. It's like they weren't on the road, you know, like for all of these. And, you know, I mean, the, the ironic part is that even when Soldier Field had AstroTurf, it was still garbage. Like they've just always had like a garbage field to, to play on, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, but, but, yeah, that's, that's funny that people think. You know, uh, so many people think that they never don't realize they played in Wrigley. And then, like, like you said, so many people aren't aware that they did uh, play on AstroTurf. You know, and, and so many of those fields in the 70s and um, in the, around the league had, you know, just terrible AstroTurf over concrete. You know, Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia and um, the Meadowlands was was terrible AstroTurf, um, you know, the the Cincinnati was terrible. <laughs> like, I mean, the, the, you know, these um, guys that played in that era, not only did they have uh, probably substandard medical and, and so forth, but they were just playing on surfaces that were brutal. Absolutely. I remember the last time, uh, and I guess I should preface this by saying there used to be right around the time of the hall of fame game, Soldier Field used to host what was called the College All-Star Game. And the College All-Star Game was just, it was a group of college All-Stars, first-round draft choices. Uh, they were one team, and they would they would play an exhibition game against the defending champions. And this dates back all the way before the Super Bowl era. That it was it was put on by the Tribune Charities, and the last game that was ever played got called off at halftime due to thunderstorms. And I was actually able to walk across the field. Uh, nobody cared, so we walked across the field from from the west stands where our seats were located to the to the east side, and then we exited and went back to the parking lot. That field was just rock hard. It was there was it was threadbare in some places, and I'm like, holy crap, what a terrible field. The one field you didn't mention, Double A, was Philadelphia. Philadelphia was absolutely terrible. It was so bad, their seams were so terrible that 
we lost a receiver. It ended his career for the Bears. His name was Wendell Davis. He blew out both knees on the same play because of the terrible seams in that field. So nowadays, with this field turf that's just amazing, I'm not surprised that I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bears finally get that installed because their offense is so uh, time-driven. It's it's technical. It's, it's route-oriented. It's critical mm-hmm. to be where you're supposed to be at a certain time. Their defense is predicated on strength and speed, and artificial turf surfaces only enhance those route running capabilities, those technical things, that speed that you need, and more and more fields are going to it. So I, I think it's just a matter of time that, and hopefully soon, all things considered, I'd love to see, and we'll probably have this conversation on another hall episode, but I'd love to see them build a new stadium. And I think it's time that we do that. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, sorry. Yeah, go, so so ultimately, uh, you know, Soldier Field was iconic. It was a landmark when they when they struck this deal. When the Bears were were just at wit's end trying to get a stadium built, and Mike McCaskey couldn't do it. And between that and the the snafu was hiring a coach. Uh, lost his job because of it. Wade Phillips, or, or you know, Phillips, Ted Phillips, is <laughs> Wade Phillips. Wow. Uh, Ted Phillips stepped in, got the deal done with the city. It's not an ideal stadium, but at least it got done. Right. So it's it's time, Aaron. It's yeah. time we we get a state of the art stadium that we can host the Super Bowl. That is first class has first-class amenities for all the fans, not just some of the fans, and can host these these final fours and, and conventions and and you know, all other types of, of mm-hmm. I, iconic events that the city of Chicago misses out on. So yeah, well, I mean, that. it's time for the, the Tick Split Suite to be in the new Soldier Field. That's that, that. That would be the dream, right? <laughs> that, that would be the dream. So everybody, you gotta stop using StubHub. I mean, you can go to StubHub and spend five minutes trying to type in things you want to find in at ticksplits.com. You can find literally, you can find any ticket for any major sporting event with as few as one click, and at most two clicks, but there's concerts, there's ballet, there's Broadway, there's music festivals, there's Vegas shows, there's $6 billion of ticket inventory on ticksplits.com every single day, and you never pay a service fee. So if you're still going to StubHub or SeatGeek or any of those other major third-party ticket sites, you're wasting money. Yeah, well, I I definitely um, was was excited to do that tour. Um, and we got to spend about 20 minutes on the field, which was fantastic. Um, you know, the the biggest thing about that was how small the stadium felt from the field. Uh, they didn't even have the uh, bleachers uh, in the north end zone because they're they actually are ironically setting up for Rolling Stones uh, because uh, Mick Jagger is on the mend and they're kicking off the tour. Uh, shortly at Soldier Field. But, you know, you're right. I mean, one of the things that you're struck by is that this stadium is really not that old. Even the new part is not that old, and it's still – it feels kind of old, you know. And, uh, you know, when you walk through the the outer part, you know, you you see a lot of run-down kind of things, and the seats are – you know, everything just looks older than it probably should uh, for being only 16 years old. Um, as far as it goes, I mean, and, and they've put a lot of money into it. We went into the to the control room for just the video um, production that of just what goes on in the stadium, uh, which was unbelievable. I mean, there must have been 20 chairs in there and all these flat screen monitors, and and this is just for what goes on the jumbotron and the the sort of screens that ring around the stadium um, and in various spots. And they, you know, the guy said that they had just spent 
six million dollars on this room and they had just put the new jumbotrons in and i'm just like you know it's like that's cool but in the back of my mind i'm like boy it sure be nice if if you know they would you know kind of get serious um about thinking about a new stadium but i just i mean with how that negotiation went last time and the bears threatening to move to gary indiana and i mean it was as ugly as it gets um you know, and and you mentioned uh, Ted Phillips, um, you know, who's somebody that I kind of had mixed feelings about seeing him uh, up there with Nagy and Pace and kind of, um, you know, enjoying the 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 good times of what's happening now, because, you know, he, he's certainly a guy that whose track record uh, is pretty poor in terms of his time here, in my opinion. Um, and it, it, you know, I mean, I don't think he was like taking shine away from Pace and Nagy, but it's, it's, a, it's kind of uh, just kind of made me feel a little bit, a certain type of way that, that he's getting to sort of take credit now for, for what's going on when, when really, you know, for 20 plus years, he's kind of been making uh, a lot of bad decisions and, and sort of doing it with no accountability almost whatsoever. Uh, so that, that's sort of an aside to that, just sort of a footnote to that. Um, but, you know, it's uh, I think it's going to be an exciting season in Soldier Field, um, you know, for sure. But, uh, you know, we, we definitely uh, hopefully can build on whatever success we have now and then and then maybe, you know, ride into a new future with a, with a new stadium. Absolutely, Aaron. In getting to this year, the excitement level, there's a huge correlation between 2018 and 2019 to the 1984-85 Bears. You know, I was, I was fortunate enough to be old enough to remember as I was in my late 20s when, when that occurred. And in, and in 1984, you know, they were just kind of getting themselves centered to what kind of team they were going to be. Their defense was good. Their offense was okay. They still had Walter Payton pretty much in his prime, but they still were struggling. They were they were nine and six going into the last game, and they they wanted to finish ten and six, and they did. This was the, the year that, if you remember, Walter Payton, during a game at home late in the season, when they were having some problems because Jim McMahon got injured in the game against the Oakland Raiders where he ruptured a kidney. And their quarterback situation was, was less than stellar after McMahon went down. And, and in the second half of the Packer game at home late in the season, Walter Payton actually was the quarterback for, for about uh, two or three series. They ended up winning the last game of the year to finish 10 and six. And that was a huge accomplishment for them because they hadn't been close to that in a long, long time. And then they go in and this is back in the days where there was just the divisional round and the NFC championship. There wasn't a wild card round back then. They played in Washington Peyton threw a touchdown pass. He, he got a he got a handoff or a pitch out, and he ended up throwing a touchdown pass against Washington. Fensick laid out, uh, I think it was Fensick or maybe it was Todd Bell laid out a receiver of the of the uh, Redskins, and they just dominated the game. And, and it surprised a lot of people, even Bears fans, that they were holy shit. This team is pretty damn good. Then they ended up getting their, their hats handed to them in the NFC Championship game against the 49ers, who finished 15-1 and won that year and went on to win the Super Bowl and Super Bowl 19. That game against Washington is what turned this team around. There were, two, there were two games. There was the Oakland Raider game, which was the hardest-hitting game I've ever seen in, in my entire career attending football games with the Bears, and then the Washington game. In the following year, they just built momentum. They easily could have started the season 1-3 and three instead of 4-0, and oh, and we'll talk about that in another episode. Then they rolled into San Francisco and defeated the defending Super Bowl champs, and Ditka ended up getting a speeding, or he got arrested for DUI on, on 294 after the game. 
on their way home. But they steamrolled through the playoffs, and the rest is history. I feel that same momentum that they picked up, and they lost their last game of the year at 84. They lost their last game of the year at 18. And that is going to stick with them all the way through training camp and hopefully roll them right into the game on, in September against Green Bay. I hope you're able to attend uh, that that game. It's, it's going to be absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I'm going to do my best. I, I imagine that I'll probably be maybe at the Fan Fest. I don't know if I'm going to be able to uh, swing the tickets, but uh, maybe there'll be some on TickSplits.com. One other thing I think that that brings up um, is how much the the alumnus um, of the Bears really, really are feeling the love for this current team. And I think that was an amazing theme of this uh, Bears 100 event, um, which I don't know if – I don't really think was planned. It felt very organic. I mean, there was no – real reason for all these alumni guys to be so effusive and um, I mean, almost over the top with their, with their praise and expectations for this team. Um, You know, I mean, it was really like a pep rally uh, environment and, and, you know, these, uh, these old guys, you know, really um, just preaching to the young guys, Hey, this is your time. You know, and you mentioned the correlation between 84 and 85. Well, there's also, you know, a a good correlation between 05 and 06, you know. um, And when the Bears uh, unfortunately lost the playoffs uh, to the Panthers uh, in 05 and then, you know, had this mentality of, you know, we're going to go to the Super Bowl and and, uh, you know, they had uh, the the Space Mountain uh, mantra that they were using all season, um, you know, in the 2006 panel, we're talking about that. Um, and then, you know, when, of course, they they, they sadly lost uh, the 2006 Super Bowl that started off so promising uh, with Hester's opening kickoff return, uh, you know, they, they really thought they would be back, and they didn't even get back to the playoffs until 2010. So, you know, what what – to a man, what these guys were preaching to these young players um, was, you know, seize the moment. You know, don't think that anything's promised. And, you know, once this window is open, they've really got to do it. Um, and and uh, I didn't mention this, but it made me think of it, it that probably overall my biggest highlight of the convention was the defensive line panel. Uh, Obradovich and Hampton um, who are just amazing anyway, um, were so on fire just talking about the past and then, you know, talking to Akeem Hicks, who's I think is my favorite current bear. And that's the jersey that I got uh, for the throwbacks uh, was Akeem Hicks. And, you know, just, just really preaching, hey, this is the time now, you know. And, and when guys like that, you know, Obradovich and – uh, Dan Hampton talked to you. You can't help but listen. And there was a really amazing moment where Akeem Hicks took it all in and he said, I accept your challenges, you know, and there's, I mean, it just, it, it feels, it feels special. And, um, you know, and, and it feels like the most positivity surrounding a Bears team that I can remember. Um, and certainly I don't go back that far with it, you know, only till about 2000. Uh, were, you know, serious fandom. And then obviously 85, um, you know, there was a ton of nationwide positivity. But but in, as far as, like, internally and the way the team feels and and so forth, I mean, what, what do you think about that? Can you remember a time where, where, where an offseason was so um, sort of full of positivity? And, and, I mean, some would say hype, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel fake. 2006 preseason uh, was probably the closest that I've seen to to the preseason this year. And, of course, you've got none of the technology that we have now. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have, you know, instant social media where everything is on display immediately. It's this has been such a fun year. Even though we lost on that that you know, that that awkward kick at the end of the game against Philadelphia, 
But since that moment, you can just feel the momentum start to build. They know that they had an opportunity. And I've had people come to me that, and I live in Wisconsin, so I have to deal with Packer fans all the time. And I've had people come to me and say, you know, if they win that game, they probably go to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Which is incredible to hear. You never hear Packer fans talk about the Bears with such lofty praise. It's always, right. you know, hey, the Bears still suck. But, right. uh, you know, it's I've never experienced anything like it in this new age with the, all of the, the instant gratification that you get with, with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and everything else. It's the hype is real. The yeah. Hype, the hype is real. And these guys aren't shying away from the hype. They're embracing it and making it their own and saying, hey, we accept your challenge and this is what we're going to do. And this is this is real. And that's what feels so good about it is it just feels real. We yeah, got what I was going to say that Nagy has done such an amazing job. And it is Nagy, you know, I mean, because this team has not always done a good job of of embracing its history. Uh, you know, Tressman was notoriously terrible at making the alumni feel welcome. Fox was the same way. Lovey here and there was good, but not, you know, not always great. And there was it seemed like there were as many stories of bad blood between the team and the alumni as good stories. And now it feels like things are changing you know, and, and they're really embracing the rich history of, of, of the team in a way that I don't know that they've done perhaps ever. I mean, you know, you, you talk about their, you know, the 63 guys are still kind of bitter about 85 getting so much praise, you know, uh, they still, you know, the 63 guys still believe their defense was better. You know, and, and you could argue that in some ways it was obviously a different game. But, you know, if you want to start pulling out stats, which I don't know if you can honestly, you know, it's less games, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a there wasn't this love fest <laughs> previously that seems to be happening. And it's just it's just cool to be a part of because this is the way it should be. The charter franchise of the NFL, you know, Hallis started the NFL. There should be this is what the Bears should be. And it's nice to see it happening, um, you know, and it, and it takes a guy who, you know, was selling real estate eight years ago to come in and, and kind of know what to do um, and kind of say, OK, no, this is the way we're going to do this. And uh, it's just it's just awesome to see, you know, and to have, um, you know, the, the kind of, uh, you know, sort of solidarity and galvanization of the of the fan base like this. Is great, you know, uh, but the flip side of that coin is it's starting to feel like Super Bowl or bust. So Nagy, you know, has a big job ahead of him in turn, you know, to not let these guys get too high on their own supply, <laughs> you know. Can't, can't disagree with that at all, Double A. This is going to be a challenge. It's going to be a grind. It, we all know it's it's a marathon and not a sprint, just like it is in Major League Baseball. But one loss is critical in the NFL as opposed to it's like it's like losing 10 straight in Major League Baseball because you have 160 games. You got one game out of 16. So it's it's critical that they have to take one game at a time, just like they did last year. They legitimately could have been undefeated last year when when you come down to it, they they Mm -hmm. lost. You know, Fuller intercepts Aaron Rodgers in the fourth quarter, game over. If Parkey doesn't miss field goals in New York and Miami, game over. You know, if their special teams don't give up two touchdowns to the Patriots, they win that game. So they legitimately could have been 16-0 and and not had to play Philadelphia in the wild card round and hosted home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And I don't think the Rams would have wanted to come back to Soldier Field. I don't think the Saints would have welcomed Soldier Field at all. So that's how close they were. That's how close this team was to going to the Super Bowl. And that's got to provide 
a, a motivation for this team going into to 19. As you said, this team and this past event this weekend with the Bears 100 has galvanized the teams and the players from all ages. There is just a, an emotion about this is what it means to be a Bear. And it struck, you could see it in the eyes of the players as, as they were on stage talking about this team. And it's just an incredible feeling. And you know, quite frankly, just talking about it with you right now gives me the chills. Yeah. That said, I think we, we kind of need to, to move on. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to have to talk a little bit about who do you think was snubbed in the yeah. Bears 100 list. So uh, I've got a few. I'm going to start with uh, with five. I'm going to let you see if sure. you have any that are different or the same, and then I'll, I'll conclude with mine and, and see if uh, likewise with you. Well, I have a uh, – real quick, I have a little um, a clip I pulled from – from the uh, panel with Pompey and Pearson, uh, where they talked about the list. Um, so it, I'll uh, I'll put this in again, but I wanted you to to hear it and sort of react to it um, real quick. Um, and then you know it, I think it'll segue nicely into what we uh, what we did there. Perfect. You know, in the in the last few months, I, I've never heard more conversation about the Bears, about the list of the top 100. Um, and just talking about number one, because both of you guys have had great experiences in your life as a writer to talk to number one, and I'm talking about Walter Payton. Um, what, you know, for me there is no other consideration. Before I ever came to the Bears, he was my hero. When I got to stand in the huddle with him, I was in such awe of him. It was hard to stare away from him. How did that discussion begin and end when you started filtering through all of the generations of greatness of the Bears players? Well, I think number one was kind of a no-brainer for us. There wasn't any discussion about number one, uh, in part because uh, both Mrs. McCaskey and Mike Ditka uh, believe that Peyton was the greatest bear, and, and those are two pretty powerful voices. But in terms of uh, the rest of the list, uh, Don and I were very happy that nobody disagreed with any of the, the, or, the order of any of the 100 players. <laughs> it, it, uh, but, you know, it, it was, it's a highly subjective exercise, a very difficult exercise because we're comparing so many players uh, from different eras, uh, players who, whose positions no longer exist or whose positions were invented uh, at some point during the 100 years. Uh, players who played a long time and had an impact over time versus players who had uh, short-term contribution, current players whose uh, legacies really aren't complete or close to complete in some cases. Uh, So it it was very difficult, Tom, uh, from that standpoint. We tried to have fun with it. Uh, We kind of went back and forth on a number of guys at the end. Don and I were just talking about this in the blue room in the back that, you know, if we had another week or another month, we probably would have changed the list another 10 or 15 times. It was one of those deals. You know, there, there, there are a number of players we left off that you could, you could second guess and question yourself about, uh, and we have been second guessed and questioned a few times. We, actually, we wanted to make it easier than it was by arguing that we wanted to really make three lists. We wanted to make an offensive list, a defensive list, and a two-way player list, because they're really three different areas of, of, of expertise in football. But I want to say that it wasn't that we didn't have any discussion about number one, because the Bears have so many great players. We could have made other players number one, but Walter Payton checked the most boxes. That is, we, we tried to use as much objective criteria as we could for a really highly subjective uh, process. 
and longevity and durability were one, production was one, honors were one, impact was one. And if you go down the list, if, if it were just longevity and durability, Gail Sayers might not have made the list. So you had to weigh these, these different criteria, and Walder just checked more boxes than really anybody else. So, yeah, you know, you just hear, you hear Pompey talking about um, how difficult it was. Um, you know, and, and I think it was a, a quite an undertaking, um, one that uh, I, I think they had fun with, but that I'm sure they, uh, you know, kind of pulled their hair out a little bit about, um, you know, it's such a, a, a team with such great history, so many great players, more Hall of Famers than anybody else. I mean, you know, to even uh, make just a top 100, some people would say you can't do that, but they did. Um and I think I think they you know, I think we both agree they did a good job, uh, but they also, you know, inevitably, um, you know, had some 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 issues, you know, and, and made some players, uh, you know, feel <laughs> a certain type of way about it. So uh, on uh, that being said, uh, just react to that. What he said that, uh, you know, you can go into your um, your snubs. What a great interview. It is amazing to sit back and realize that the Bears have been the Bears for 100 years. They have they started the NFL. George Hallis started the NFL. And through the decades, there have been so many great players in, in Pearson and Pompey. Did a great job, absolutely a great job trying to get as many players from as many of the decades as they could in this list. That said, you know, there's going to be some people that are arguing and they're going to argue for the players that are most recent on, on their minds. But overall, you know, you can't have everybody on the list. And uh, so that said, you know, I'm sure they could have added a few more players uh, and made a couple more changes, but they, they had to draw the lines somewhere. So with that being said, there's here's a few names that I have seen that, that people thought should have been on the list. Alex Brown, Refrigerator Perry, Nate Vasher, Marty Booker, Roberto Garza. Do you have any of those on your list? Yeah, Alex Brown for sure. Um, and, and if if – uh, I highly recommend to everybody to listen to the latest Lawrence Holmes podcast. Um, he has Alex Brown on for about two hours um, and he talks about it. I mean, he, he was pissed. He was pissed that he's not on this list, you know, and I think rightfully so. I mean, the guy is number four in career sacks. He's number one in quarterback hits all time. I mean, obviously they didn't keep track of sacks and a lot of people say that if they did for the, guys in the 60s and, you know, that the, the, the record books would be rewritten, but it, whatever, it is what it is. Um, you know, he, he was a great player. He played for a long time. He, he checks a lot of the boxes. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I don't think he should have been left off this list. And, and it wouldn't really bother me so much, but they put some other guys on there, um, you know, like current players, and I and I don't really know why. Like I mean, thinking back more about it, I don't. We don't need Eddie Jackson on this list. We don't need Khalil Mack on this list. It's too. It, there's too much history with this team to put guys on there that haven't even played. You know, four or five seasons for the Bears. I mean, you know, he talks about Pompey talks about um, you know durability and, and and length of career being a factor. And if it was, though, well, maybe Gail Sayers wouldn't be on that. But I don't really think that that's 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 a, a great argument. Um, you know, I, I agree. I mean, we talked about this. Why is Brandon Marshall on there? Marty Booker is by far a better Bears receiver. The 329 catches, 25 touchdowns, you know, third, almost 4,000 yards receiving, which doesn't sound like a lot, but for Bear for the Bears, <laughs> that's a huge number. Uh, and then I have Curtis Conway as well. Um, you know, I think Curtis Conway, you know, same thing, 329 catches, 31 touchdowns, 4,500 yards. How do you leave him off to put Brandon Marshall on there who, you know, yeah, he did a lot in, in a short time. But, you know, I mean, he's also uh, probably one of the more polarizing uh, bears, 
you know, so it's yeah, it's one of those things. It's fun to talk about. It's it's all you know done for for barroom type of uh, you know conversation podcast uh, sports talk conversation. Um, and I think there's a little bit of a marketing aspect to things that they had in mind um, as well, because you know you, you want to ultimately you want to sell the books uh, and you want to appeal to to the new generation of fans, um, you know, so who, who could not possibly care less about, you know, uh, Fortunato and <laughs> some of these guys. So, um, but yeah, that's the, I, I agree with all of yours, and um, I think um, uh, was it uh, the other one? I don't know if you mentioned was Leslie Frazier. Um, he was in my second half of, right. of the of my list that. Yeah. Uh, He's he's not on there, so I'll, I'll briefly Go mention ahead. those. Les Frazier, Tim Jennings, yeah. Curtis, Con- Curtis Conway, who you already mentioned, Thomas Jones, yeah, Adewale Ogunleye, yeah, and last last but not least, he's one of the only players on the starting 1963 championship team that didn't make the list, and that was safety Dave Witzel. So obviously that one's before your time, Double A. But uh, the guy was just a stud back in the '60s. I believe he played uh, his entire career with the Bears in the '60s and was just a, a tremendous player. Leslie Frazier, you know, he his career ended in the Super Bowl. He blew out his knee on a punt return. Uh, Thomas Jones, a lot could be said about Thomas Jones. He, re- he had what three 1,000-yard seasons with the Bears. You made a good point earlier about you know, the, the qualifications for this list. And if they would have, they being Pearson and, and Pompey, if they would have said any player that hasn't been retired from the Bears for at least five years and any player that didn't play for the team at least five years are automatically removed from consideration, that would have given room for these guys like Perry and Garza and Brown and Frazier because they were just, they were just absolute studs in, in their era. Mm -hmm. There was a guy, there was a guy that played for just three years that we mentioned in the top 100 back in the thirties, but yet he made the list. So there, if they would have established some other criteria for the list, that would have allowed some of these other players that deservedly should have been such as Marty Booker, such as Curtis Conway. I think that nobody would have been disappointed. Well, and and I also just say, even keep it simpler, no current players. I mean, I don't think anybody could argue with that standard. Just saying, you know what? No current players, like their careers aren't done yet. I mean, unless it's a, you know, a guy who's been there for, for 10 years, I mean, if let's say they did this list when Manley was still around, I mean, even Manley, like, I mean, obviously the guy was on the team for a long time, but he's the long snapper. Like who even knows? I, and he was a great one. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying like, you know, most people don't even know who their long snapper is at any given season. So, um, you know, I, I just think if they took away the current players and maybe, you know, were a little stricter about things, there would be some room for some of these guys. Uh, you mentioned Thomas Jones. Uh, Thomas Jones, I think, was a was a glaring uh, non-participant in the Bears 100. And he, he said on social media that he never got the invite, um, which I find hard to believe. I mean, I believe him. But how do you, if you're the Bears, notice that Thomas Jones – didn't RSVP and not, you know, like make sure that guy's there, you know? Um, I mean, you know, I, I can understand why maybe Cutler wasn't there and some of these other things, but, you know, I, I felt like uh, him, Dick Duran, Lovey Smith, um, you know, some of these guys, uh, you know, really should have been there um, and and would have been nice to to have seen there. I mean, obviously there were so many, but that two that the especially the 2010 era group was a little sad, um, you know. And obviously that 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 the that era of Bears football was also sad. So what can you do, you know? But it, I mean, it just goes to show you have so many players, you have so many decades, you have so much 
to kind of pour over. And, and they said, you know, that if they had to do it again, they'd probably change it 10 or 15 times, and, and they did the best that they could. Absolutely. Aaron, this has been a great podcast. What do we have on tap for next week? Uh, well, um, I think we're going to talk to uh, one of the great Bears fans of Twitter. We're going to get uh, Bears Girl on the show. Um, she's a Canadian Bears fan, uh, one of the ones that came down from up north, um, and that was great. And then we're going to pick up um, some more of the uh, happenings of uh, what, what, what transpired at the end of the minicamp. Um, you know, we've also we've unfortunately uh, found ourselves back in uh, kicker panic um, as a result of this latest mini camp and the um, what's going on there. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that, and then uh, you know we'll just start looking at the, the season ahead. Um, and then you know, as we always do on Halitech Hall, we, we look at what's happening now, we look ahead, but we we really want to focus on the past, um, and that's I think what's gonna make us unique. Um, you know, for your Bears podcast listening is uh, we have you as a, an amazing resource, somebody that's seen the team for such a long amount of time. And that's that's just going to be our continued focus um, is to highlight uh, some some players from the past, um, some moments from the past and kind of weave that together. Absolutely. Aaron, thanks for, for producing the show. Thanks for being my co-host and a special thank you to TickSplits.com for sponsoring our show we can't forget to mention that Bears fans, any fans, all you have to do to go to Tick Splits and save 5% is use promo code TAILGATE. It's all caps, it's all one word, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E. And Tick Splits gives Halitech Hall listeners and your other podcast, The, the Tailgate, 5% off on any tickets, whether it's sports, concerts, Broadway, or music festivals. So thanks to Tick Splits. Thank you, Aaron. We'll see you next week.